It's been around a lot longer than Donald Trump, but he has certainly taken it to the next level. Fake news. The U.S. president has waged an ongoing war with the mainstream media, branding everything he doesn't like or inconvenient as fake news. He even started his own award show to target what he felt was the worst in media. Closer to home, fake news has appeared in the Ontario election campaign, as a staffer in the Ford camp has been appearing in commercials as a reporter. Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe for Unpublished Ottawa. I'm Ed Hand. Back in January, the Canadian government looked at the issue of fake news and deduced there wasn't much it could do. Briefing notes for Heritage Minister Melanie Jolie point out the government can't decide for Canadians what is and isn't fake news. Other governments have started to take it more seriously. It appears it could be a smokescreen, though. Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania have all brought in legislation against fake news, although critics point it could muzzle independent media. Social media gets part of the blame for the advancing of fake news, or as former U.S. Press Secretary Sean Spicer referred to it, Alternative Facts. Today on the Unpublished Cafe, we'll take a look at the issues facing truth today. And joining me in studio for the discussion is Tom Korski, Managing Editor of Blacklock's Reporter. Now, the impetus for the show today was an interesting story from Blacklock's, which found our federal government had actually spent half a million dollars on fake news. And Tom, that's... Uh, Quite an interesting discovery uh, you and uh, the folks at Black Box Reporter have made. They're the number one fake news producer in the country, the government of Canada. Had. Wow. Number one with a bullet. <laughs> Maybe tell us exactly, uh, first off, how you found this out and then what, what you actually did find. Find it uh, by hunting and pecking through federal contracts. What they did was they had, this was various federal departments and agencies, they had employees their own employees ghostwrite stories about the work they do. And as you'd imagine, they concluded they do a pretty good job. They went further and paid a broker in total $577,000 last year to distribute these stories, not identified as government news releases, but identified as News Canada Incorporated stories that were then distributed mainly to weeklies free of charge. Now, I, I did see some of those s stories as well when, when I was uh, working in radio, and we would see a lot of those feeds come in on, the, I guess, the Ontario feed, for those uh, who understand that. But yeah, yeah, there was no credit given or, or no nothing said that, oh, this is written by the government or... No casual reader yeah. could conclude that those stories written about a certain government agency were ghostwritten by people who work for the same agency. No reader could come to that conclusion. And if you were slightly curious, you'd have to spend a lot of time searching through contracts, as we did, to trace that back. Now, when you look at News Canada, Inc., is this the only one that's providing this kind of information, or do we have other brokers? They're the main broker right. and have been for some time. But the difference was... The government of Canada has done this for some years. The difference was they started to run these out through piecemeal contracts instead of a global contract. So if the contract is 10000 here, it's 12000 there, you have to go through contracts for 18 separate agencies and start adding up figures. So that's a good way to conceal it. The other thing is, we did have the Minister of Heritage go out in public and wring her hands and lament 
fake news and the state of journalism in Canada. Crocodile tears? It was it was moving, Ed. It was really moving. <laughs> but you know what? What's it say about a federal government of a democratic nation not as supporting fake news in a sense? Why didn't they just come out and say, "Well, actually, we're number one with fake news"? Yeah, uh, that's. Yeah. I guess that would have spoiled the whole effect. Yeah. <laughs> but what were some of the examples of the fake news that we're talking about? Mm. Well, there was one. This was from the Pest Management Regulatory Agency. That's a Health Canada agency that regulates pesticides. And they had their staff do a story called Pesticides in Canada. And it said, when used properly, you can be assured there's no risk to human health or the environment from pesticides. Well, that's simply wrong, Ed. Yeah. (laughs) The agency has licensed pesticides that it has admitted are environmentally toxic. In fact, they've been in federal court for two years with environmental groups for licensing and permitting the sale of of pesticides that may be unsafe. And in fact, last year, a bunch of high-powered government lawyers went down to federal court to have the case dismissed that was filed by environmental groups, and a federal judge told them to drop dead. That story is misleading. It's a fake story. Would you like another example, Ed? Sure. This is my favorite. Okay. There's a group called the Financial Consumer Mm -hmm. Agency of Canada. It's a government of Canada agency, and it's got consumer in the title. Well, what could be more delightful? And they had their staff write up a story, ghostwritten, distributed through News Canada Incorporated, that advised readers on how to use home equity to get a line of credit from your bank. Now, there's a lot of people who will tell you, not a good idea. Lines of credit are expensive. Just Mm. remortgage. It's typically cheaper. And you really shouldn't maybe borrow against your home to pay for a wedding, a vacation, or a snowmobile. Now, what the story didn't mention is despite its name, the agency gets a majority of its funding, 77%, from the banks. So the headline should have read, Bank Stooge Shills for Banks. But it didn't. The headline said, Achieve your long-term financial goals with your home equity. Fake it. That's fake news. <laughs> Tom Korski is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe from Black Locks Reporter. He's a managing editor as we're talking about the war on truth and fake news. And, you know... We've been talking an awful lot about the, you know, the struggling newspaper industry and, you know, we have less options. Uh, it seems there's less oversight as well. Is it fair that the decline of the newspaper industry is part of the problem or is it just they have a bad business model? I think this is where it gets pretty dark. The government of Canada about three years ago uh, had a change in policy. Most people didn't notice, but publishers did. They decided to cut back virtually all their advertising, federal advertising, in, for instance, uh, dailies, but also weeklies. Did you know, I can show you government research that says more people in Canada read a weekly newspaper than use Twitter. It's not even close. The Department of Defense, when they use military recruitment campaigns, have gauged that sort of thing. It's not even close. Millions of Canadians on the farm in the city, read a weekly newspaper. 
And the government of Canada cut that advertising to the bone. That is 150-year-old policy. Well, what kind of advertising? These are typically legal notices, contract tenders. But for the publisher, it's pure margin. These are gold contracts. You get a few bucks to publish a legal notice for the federal government, and it's no cost to you, and you're guaranteed payment. And they cut it. And publishers said, you're killing us. There were publishers who went to the Commons Heritage Committee and said in testimony and hearings, you're killing some of our titles. Our margins are that thin. The government knew what it was doing. They knew their change in advertising policy hurt Canadian independent publishers because the publishers told them that. They didn't care. Their response was to spend more money on Facebook advertising. As the publisher's lobbyist in Ottawa says, you're creating jobs in Silicon Valley when you advertise with Facebook. Well, the same minister of Heritage, who wrings her hands in public about the fate of independent Canadian media, increased her Facebook advertising last year by 680%. So it's a puzzle, Ed, but it's not a complicated puzzle. Mm -hmm. It's only really got three pieces, and you put it together. Less direct financial support for independent Canadian publishers, it's death. More fake news, you will write what we tell you, and more advertising for U.S. multinationals like Facebook, Google, Twitter, mm-hmm. YouTube. That's the policy. Why would they do that, Ed? <laughs> because there are no Facebook reporters on Parliament Hill. Yeah. And reporters just cause everybody trouble Why finding out where the government spends the money. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a government program. That's their program. You know, one of the uh, when we, we'll, let's look at the Ontario election. There's a couple of things that have come out of that, and it's on the, it's it's uh, in regards to the Ford campaign. You know, we see the the Ford Nation uh, videos, and you know they complain they don't get a fair shake from the from the media. So they have their own Stafford doing the reporter thing, and and to me that's you know, obviously that's fake news for one and two. People aren't picking up on that. Except I don't have to pay for Ford's monkey with a camera. No. I do have to pay for government staff that mm-hmm. ghostwrite misleading, uninformative, self-serving stories that are placed in weeklies and dailies and other media. So we asked ourselves in examining these contracts, is it fake news? Mm-hmm. And as you point out, uh, the Minister of Heritage produced a memo to define fake news. So we examine their definition with their own practices and policies. How do they define fake news? Well, it has to be state-sponsored, number one, check. That's a check. Yeah. It has to be easily and widely distributed, done. And it has to be compiled by people who are not journalists and not constrained by fact-checking. They nailed it, Ed. They nailed the fake news. And we get to pay for it. That's the difference with what Ford or any other party or candidate does in a campaign. What does, well, I was going to say the fact checker in, in, in the newsroom. It just seems that position has either disappeared or been outsourced or whatever because, you know, we have, pick any paper, whatever story comes out, 
it's not convenient to whether it be Trump or Ford or whoever, and it's just fake news and and that's it. But you know, if you've got somebody checking the facts and producing the facts, then they should be irrefutable. Ten thousand media jobs, by official estimate, mm-hmm. have uh, disappeared in the last twelve years in Canada. That's ten thousand. How many pulp mills is that? How many copper mines is that? It's an absolute death spiral for the industry. Why would any publisher publish fake news? Uh, I am not going to apologize for them. Mm. But when you have lost federal advertising and you're right up against the wall, you're going to do what you have to do. And that's exactly what happens. But the job cuts speak for themselves. Really interesting question to ask where we're headed with this, because you can see it. There's fewer reporters. I don't want to walk down memory lane. Ed. I, I started out in a 50,000-watt radio station on the prairies. We had seven reporters. The Ottawa Citizen does not have seven reporters on Parliament Hill. It is the flagship daily in a G7 capital. We covered Brandon better than the Ottawa Citizen does. That's how much has changed in the time I've been in this business. One of the things I find is, you know, when the fake news phrase gets thrown around, some people just shrug. For for them, it just seems that it's too much work to find the real answer. Everyone has the right to be uninformed. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But it just seems that's part of that's playing part of the problem with with fake news. It just uh, un- snowballs. Undoubtedly, it is. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? No one says you have to be an informed citizen. Look at sit at home and do what the government tells you, and God bless you. It's a free country. But for those people who don't know what they don't know and are bothered by the fact, you should get really excited. You really want to start getting bad-tempered and excited about that. Do you know what happened at your school board? Do you know whether the mayor's cousin got the snowplow contract? Do you know what the federal government does with your money? Does it matter to you? Those are questions 35 million people can ask themselves. I know what my answer is, but the, the solution is not to have the government ghostwriting copy. Tom Korski is joining us at the Unpublished Cafe as we talk fake news and the war on truth. And it seems we've been shifting towards the, the fake news or... The lack, you know, the lack of uh, fact checking as uh, the internet and social media come along, and and do you blame either either one for that? You would figure with the internet, it would make information that more accessible. You would think so. There's a problem. Uh, this is a theory I call the Pyongyang Taylor theory. Have you ever seen film of that crazy dictator in North Korea? Mm-hmm. He always looks like hell. This is a billionaire and a dictator, but his suit is always badly fitting. He just doesn't look good. He looks like a tractor part salesman. And that's because there are no tailors left in Pyongyang. Did you know that tailoring is actually a skill? And they got rid of all the tailors a long time ago. And now no one knows how to cut a suit. What's my point? I came up through the apprenticeship system in newsrooms. Mm. That's dead now. I can show you masters in journalism that I wouldn't hire to cover a motel fire. 
They got rid of the tailors, Ed. They killed the apprenticeship system. Being a reporter is a skill. It doesn't mean that you have a Twitter feed. It's work, and you have to know what you're doing. And there's fewer people all the time. I'm not an old man. I've been doing this since I was 17. But I've seen the change. There are reporters, quote unquote, who don't know what they're doing because they got rid of all the tailors and now they don't know how to cut a suit. That's the problem. There's just no guidance there for, for especially the new ones. There's no guidance. There's no mentoring. There's no direction. You, I can show you daily newspapers, corporate owned in this country, that have managing editors under the age of 25. You can't have that. They don't know what they're doing. They're all on Facebook, but they don't know how to file an access to information request or go through public accounts or do contract checks or cover courts. The court coverage in this country is horrific. We cover courts. It's a world scoop every time we get a story because there's no other reporter in the courtroom. Did you know there was a corruption trial in Ottawa? Library and Archives Canada, in a bid-rigging, alleged bid-rigging scheme, over $3 million, and a former manager of Library and Archives Canada went to trial down at the Elgin Street Courthouse. Verdict is pending. Guess how many reporters were in that room? One, One. Our guy. What does that tell you? Well, is that is that the media doesn't have the interest, or is that the public or their market doesn't have the, the interest? You don't have a choice if you're in this business. No. But everyone has a Facebook page and a Twitter feed because that's what the cool kids do. And uh, – I I, I don't know what to say. Re, re, journalism is work. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, we call it, it – it's like blacksmithing. Like, there's there's no pretty way to make a horseshoe, right? Mm-hmm. It's hot, and you sweat, and there's, there's even sometimes swearing, and you start banging like hell. But that's what the job is, and there's fewer people who do that. We can't blame the public, and we can't blame the media, and we can't blame Facebook. This business – is not famous for great management. No, that's true. That's true. It, it, it's almost the media or, or news itself has been replaced by marketing. When you describe the you know the managing editor at twenty five, who obviously has uh, a shortage of experience, but has the Facebook page and the Twitter account, that's all marketing. That's not you know broadcasting, presenting news, that kind of a thing. I'll tell you a story about marketing. Um, don't know if this is public information or not, but it is now. When the Ottawa Citizen did a rebranding, this was about three, four years ago, mm-hmm. you may recall they went with nice pastel colors. They had an entire advertising campaign. Um, I understand they lost 2,000 paid subscribers. It happened like that. Now you're talking about two-thirds of a million dollars walking out the door. Those were canceled subscriptions after the rebranding after the new marketing campaign. And as I understand it, citizen management asked itself why. And there was a theory and a conclusion that there were subscribers who'd been with them for years and they weren't even reading it anymore. They were walking the paper from the porch back to the recycling box and they were looking for an excuse. And the citizen gave it to them because it was all marketing. 
They didn't expand their coverage. They didn't hire any more court reporters. They didn't put more people on Parliament Hill. Ed, they hired a consultant and they did an ad campaign with a dude in a top hat. And it turns out people read newspapers because they actually want the news. So are there limits to marketing? Of course there are. If every uh, focus group worked, every movie would be a blockbuster. Every campaign would be a winner. We know that's demonstrably false. So what's the answer if you're in the news business except to get back to the Bible and just do what people expect, report the news? Tom Korski joining us from Black Locks Reporter as we talk about the war on truth and fake news on the unpublished cafe. Do you think when, when you look at the situation, you know, fake news, we see it down in the, in the States, a lot of it with uh, Trump. We saw a bit of it up here with, uh, with the federal government, obviously, now, and, and, and Ford, Ford Nation. What's the, what's the, I guess, your fear for politics? What's your fear for, for getting the information out if we could continue down this path? I used to be very hopeful that as um, legacy corporate-owned media collapsed under its own incompetence and weight, that there would be more independence, uh, and we would actually revert to an era that is pre-mass media. A lot of people don't realize even mass newspapers are generally a new phenomenon and and it's a mechanical invention. Uh, the invention of pulp paper made print runs very inexpensive. That's why you could sell a penny paper and make millions because you could achieve a mass market. Before that, paper was extremely expensive. And who subscribed to a newspaper in 1850? Well, if you wanted the shipping news, you owned a shipping line. Media was very expensive, very focused, and very good. And that worked for two, three hundred years. Mass media, especially in the print form, is, as I say, in my opinion, just my opinion, mm-hmm. collapsing under its own weight due to mismanagement. So what are we left with? I used to believe that more independence would start up. Now I'm not so sure, Ed, because you have to know what you're doing. And if they killed all the tailors, how are you going to open a tailoring shop? If you can't get the people who know how to get the facts, how are you going to get into the fact business? Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that. I'm a believer in humanity. I like people. You like people, Ed. Yes, I do. And people generally find a way. This is a bit of a conundrum. How dark is it? Well, let's quote once again the Minister of Heritage, Melanie Jolie. She says in a memo compiled by her staff, that if the post-media corporation dies, there will be 23 Canadian newspapers without a daily newspaper, 23 cities without a daily. That's never happened before. You can go back to the mid-19th century. It never existed. Imagine 23 cities without a daily newspaper. Of course, something's going to fill that information vacuum. Is it going to be good? Is it going to be accurate? Will it pay? Will people pay for it? We don't know. When you talk about uh, new reporters coming in, and you had mentioned they come in with a master's of journalism and, and you might not hire them, is that 
Is that the the person themselves, or is that the the way they're being taught, what they're being taught? I've heard journalism schools described as uh, modeling schools. Mm. There's something to that. I don't know how you can study journalism for four years and not write a lead or cover a trial at police court. You know, that's how we started. Mm -hmm. It's just getting tedious as I walked down memory lane. It was. We'd cover the irrigation district. We covered county council. And in my home province in those days, we had still had county courts. And county courts were the equivalent of uh, police courts, provincial courts as they're known today. Mm. And that's where you would get the impaired driving, the run-of-the-mill court case. a great way to hone your reporting skills. Because if you got it wrong, the judge would be calling your boss to have you fired. So you really focus the mind. (laughs) They don't do that at journalism school. No. So is there a substitution for that? I don't think there is. What they did is they professionalized journalism. Let's let's be serious. Journalism is not a profession. It's it's a trade. Yeah. Can I say something really harsh, Ed? Sure. I'm going to attribute this to a guy who used to be an editor at the Montreal Gazette. This is really unkind, but you're a friend and I'm going to say it to you. Sure. He said that journalism used to attract the sharpest of the working class and now attracts the dullest of the upper class. There's something to that. It's not pleasant, but there's a little bit, there's enough truth in that oh, yeah. that it resonates. So you will have people taking a four-year journalism course. That's expensive, Ed. You're talking student debt. Mm-hmm. Are they doing it because they weren't smart enough to become biochemists? Possible. Are they doing it because maybe I'm going to be the model? I'm going to get the job on the CBC? I'm going to get the star treatment? Am I doing it because I don't know what else to do? I need some post-secondary. And I can always become a communications monkey for the gas company. I think those are rhetorical questions, actually. You don't have to answer any of those. (laughs) No, No, but you bring up some very good points. Uh, when we talk about the citizen, and obviously, you know, we've got the same owner for the two papers here in Ottawa. And, and I wonder, in part of this whole situation on the war on truth and, and fake news and obviously getting to the, the lowest denominator financially, uh, do we need foreign ownership? Should we even have foreign ownership? Because, you know, we look at the situation with the citizen and the sun and, and the U.S. hedge funds who are basically – Behind it. It's pretty much foreign owned already. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. And in, at some point, you would think the country would want to protect its own culture. Uh, you know, it's funny. There was a time, you recall it, when people talked about Canadian culture all the time. It was very relevant. Hmm. And it almost never comes up. The concept of original Canadian content is almost never discussed as a public policy issue, as a community worry, as a worthwhile objective. Interesting. Commons Industry Committee is doing a statutory review of the Copyright Act right now. Sounds dull. It's really not. It's electrifying. And due to some technical changes in the Act in 2012, original Canadian content producers just got the stick 
And they have had, for instance, a novelist testified from Burlington, Ontario. She said she gets royalty checks now of about $138. This is her livelihood. She published two titles last year. She made $12,000. That's not the minimum wage. No. So it all kind of comes together. I don't think government is the answer. I don't think publishers have any business begging for welfare from taxpayers. I believe in root hog or die. We're capitalists too. But is there any interest in preserving independent Canadian original content? The marketplace will decide that. The problem is the corporations took over all the Mm. independents. And then they screwed it up, Ed. And now, now they're driving off a cliff. And their answer was to beg John Q. Sucker taxpayer for a bailout. But what was in existence before? All our towns had independent newspapers, for instance, radio stations, television stations, typically owned by the local Chevy dealer. You know, it wasn't always profound. But these people lived in your town, they sent their kids to the same school you sent your children, and they cared about their city. That's gone now. Will it ever come back? I hope so, because it's the only way out. It's the only way left, Ed. That's why we say, get back to the future. Just get back to the basics. So if the son and the Ottawa citizen died in Ottawa... You hope and pray that some local person with a little bit of equity who gives a damn about our city will start a daily newspaper, and hopefully it'll be good. But even if it's not an award winner, you know he's going to cover the school board because he pays school taxes. That's the difference. It's amazing how money brings it all all around, doesn't it? It's always about the money, Ed. That it is, Tom. <laughs> Tom, I want to thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Ed. Tom Korski is the managing editor at Blacklocks Reporters, and I recommend following them online for some in-depth analysis on federal issues. And I want to point out, said that on our podcasts, the guns coming up in the future, we'll be bringing you more analysis of the Ontario election campaign which is turning out to be quite unique. And I want to thank you for checking out the Unpublished Cafe on Unpublished Ottawa. I'm Ed Hand.